Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, I've been in an art gallery for about three and a half hours. I came down to interview this man. His art name is Pure Evil. His real name is Charlie. You can probably hear the buzzing in the background. We're actually down in the basement of his gallery. We've had a fantastic conversation for a good couple of hours before we even got the cameras on. Now, I've been a fan of his work for a very long time. I first saw his art when I was watching The Apprentice. This must have been a good seven years ago, maybe longer. And, um, you know, sometimes they go around the art galleries and they try and sell the artist's work. And Pure Evil was one of the artists and I thought he came across really great and I loved his work. And I bought a whole load of his art. And half was because I loved it, but half was I thought, well, he's on The Apprentice. If I buy a load, it'll go up in value. And it's funny because when you listen to the interview in a second, you'll hear him referring to that and how many, how much money he made the day after The Apprentice went live. Um, And I've been a keen follower of his work for many years to come. In fact, I've just spent a rather large amount of money today buying a load of originals. Uh, It's been a fascinating three or four hour hangout for me with him, um, as well as the interview that you're going to hear. We talk about art, we talk about the business of art and merging art and business and getting ideas. Uh, and what a fantastic guy, what a lovely guy. I think you'll really enjoy this very unique interview with Pure Evil. Charlie, thank you for doing the interview. It's all right. We've probably done about four interviews already, haven't we? Yeah. We've, been, we've had two hours together. Yeah. And um, I've just um, purchased some more of your art. Thank you very much. So, uh, my pleasure. Anytime you want to come down yeah. and do an interview <laughs> yeah. and purchase more art, just let me know. All right, I yeah. will. So yeah, I mean, obviously in the intro I've told you I've been a fan of your work since I discovered your work, and that was on The Apprentice. Um, and um, did, did that kind of give you good exposure? I mean, you know, like, did you feel like, hey, I've got great exposure, or did you feel, oh, I'm commercialising myself as an artist? Why don't you just talk to us about that? It was a funny one, because I had a friend of mine who did the Australian version of The Apprentice before. So I contacted him, and he said, make sure you've got things coming out, because when that programme comes out, things will go crazy. And what happened was, when the programme came out and Alan Sugar said, you would have won if you bought a Pure Evil, Pure Evil, Pure Evil, nice. about <laughs> six or eight times, people who were watching the TV went, Pure Evil, Pure Evil, Pure Evil, started twin screening. Just like me, this yeah. is exactly what I did. Going onto yeah. their iPads and looking and checking what, what was going on. The next day, I think I had something like 26,000 pounds in my PayPal account. Well, I bought, for about 12 of your pieces. Yeah. So that might, half of that might yeah. have been me. Thank you very much. That's all right. But then actually bumping into Alan Sugar about a couple of weeks ago, I actually went up to him and thanked him just for paying for half my mortgage. Because mm. something like that, the exposure from a program like that, you can't pay for that kind of no. advertising. That's like, was it 9 p.m. on a Friday night on, mm. you know, on one of the main channels. And the fact that a lot of television programs can be quite manipulative in the way that they kind of edit and the way that they use the idiot music 
in the background. Mm. So even even though someone's not really doing anything stupid, they put the idiot music in <laughs> in the background and suddenly that person's an idiot. So I was very careful about being positive about everybody and not saying negative things that could be turned around. And there were a couple of other artists who they got on a film saying, you know, oh, well, I, this is £6,000, but I'll sell it for half that, you know, if someone wants it. And you, you don't want to be sort of caught in those kind of situations. And I think programmes like that that have kind of featured my work, it's just, it's taken things to the next mm. level. And I'm not really that bothered about, you know, trying to portray this idea of, you know, I'm so underground, I don't, you know, don't want to be on television. I don't want to, you know, sort of do that kind of thing or commercialise myself. Although at certain points when you get asked by Burger King if you want to go around the UK painting hamburgers, I'll say no. <laughs> yeah. Probably because I'm a vegetarian, <laughs> but also it would just be a bit naff. Mm. But I did a thesis uh, when I was in college about the media and skateboarding, and it, was, it really related to the media and street art, or the media and any sort of urban subculture where it's got that sort of coolness and then the advertisers go, hey, we can use that to sell a Toyota or mm. we can use that to sell cornflakes or we can use that to sell all kinds of other stuff. And it's just a natural thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote a book recently called Money, which people who listen to my podcast will know about very well. And, and as a repressed, failed artist myself, I've been really interested in the paradox between art and commercial life. And I think that more than most artists, Hearst and Warhol really embraced both sides. Yeah. And they were both very much interested in the business of art and thought that art was a, you know, a great business itself. Well, just, why don't you just talk about what your thoughts are on balancing being a creative individual, a previous street artist. Mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about Banksy before and all that versus, hey, you've got, a, you've got beautiful gallery here. You've been able to adapt the space you know, commercial versus art, because yeah. every business owner on the planet's got to think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole ethos of Warhol was that, you know, good art is good business, mm. good business is good art. His studio was called a factory, um, and I have no problem with, you know, sort of being a factory or being a factory worker in that way and producing and mass-producing art. I mean, I think you look at the amount of, you know, Damien Hirst dot paintings that are out there. He wasn't just going to do one and go, this is my masterpiece. He was just going to keep going and keep going and keep going and paint it on minis and paint it on, you know, all kinds of things. Mm. And it, it became so iconic. And when I grew up, I was surrounded by books about pop art because my father was an artist who sort of, you know, was really prolific in the 60s and 70s. And so he had all these amazing pop art books. And pop art was the thing where you were taking the commercial world and making it into art. Andy Warhol was taking screen printing, which was something that was like a commercial way to make posters and to do fabrics and making that into art. And when you see, you know, like an electric chair um, canvas, you know, at Freeze Art Fair, and it's something like nine million, mm. you just think it's really come a long way from that commercial process and stenciling was you know initially invented as something for fabrics and it was invented not for a fine art kind of medium and it was people like Black Lerat who saw political stencils I think he saw 
a Mussolini stencil in Italy when he was on holiday in the 50s. And, you know, kind of went, actually, I could use that to actually, you know, sort of mass produce mm. my own work. And the idea of this mass production, um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing compared to the recent sale of the Leonardo for 450 million, where you know that that's a unique piece. There's not going to be 500 other, you know, similar pieces. Although, probably at that stage in the creation of that painting, he had a studio and he had other people who were probably finishing off the sort mm. of the other part. And I, I realized that although I, I sort of saw myself as a, as a good socialist, you know, when I started to actually sell paintings and enjoy, you know, the actual business of selling paintings, um, yeah, I realized I was a capitalist, mm. you know, and actually making money and having, you know, a nice space to work in and enjoying, you know, enjoying a lifestyle because of the hard work that you put into it. You know, it made me, um, made me very appreciative, but it also, I have, I still am able to sort of keep a certain, a certain amount of humility. I think about my grandfather who was a coal miner who worked in, you know, the sort of the mines in Wales and actually died in a coal mine. You know, so every day that I can spend above ground making, you know, lovely art and sort of benef benefiting from, you know, the sort of, this wave of street art that I'm kind of luckily found myself on. Mm. You know, it's, it's a good day. Yeah. I think when I was an artist, the one thing I didn't appreciate was art is not just about expressing yourself, it's other people enjoying it. So I was always doing individual pieces, but I, I didn't have knowledge like you do of technology because creating good prints and good stencils and things like that, you know, there's technology involved in that and there's skills in mass production, there's art in mass production, which yeah. I was always one-off pieces, but I was, you know, kind of like a, um, I know I used to listen to Rage Against the Machine and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what I didn't realise is my art isn't art if no one's buying it and seeing it and viewing it and enjoying it and discussing it. And so if you mass produce, more people enjoy your art and that becomes part of the cycle of art. Would, yeah. would you agree with that? I think so. I think street art's also come around at a kind of perfect storm moment because it's the first movement that's really been born with the internet attached. And so as soon as I finish a piece, I'm putting it on Instagram, mm. waiting I to saw see you do it live, you just yeah. done. Yeah. You know, you've, yeah. hand, you've hand finished a piece or you make a print, something comes in and you just get it up there, yeah. um, you know, and get it online so you can actually sell the thing. But I'm very aware that, you know, sometimes I'll put a piece up that I really love and if I don't get that feedback, I kind of go, all right, what was that about? Mm. It's a good way to kind of gauge things. But then there are other times where you should just stick to your convictions and say, mm this is what I need to do. That's the, really the role of the artist. Yeah. You, know, you have to lead and hopefully people will follow what you do. Literally, mm. click, 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 follow, follow, follow. Mm. Um, but I think what's happened with street art has been that if, say for example, Banksy's in Panama and he's doing a new piece about you know, the Panama Papers or something like that, we'll know about it on the same day because of the internet. There will be a post about it with you know, probably like a drone footage of the actual event and mm. all of this. Um, and you didn't have that in, you know, say pop art, for example, in the 60s. And if you were a gallerist and you were selling a piece of art, you'd have to send a physical slide to the collector so they could look at it. Then you'd have to telephone them mm. on a landline, imagine that, yeah. and, you know, speak <laughs> to them and about? say, hey, can I have the slide back? Because someone else needs to see it. Whereas mm. now, if you've got a piece of artwork, 
ping, you send it yeah, out. Yeah, photo, there it before. is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and has the internet and the, because you've got tens of thousands of followers on your Instagram, and has the internet really changed the way you've been able to scale and sell your art? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll, I'll have a piece that I'll do, you know, and it may go up, and within a few hours we've got an email from Singapore or somewhere, and someone's seen it and they want to buy it. Mm. It's crazy. It really is. Um, is it 100% a good thing that you're so reliant on, you know, all of that? I like to have a bricks and mortar space as well, like this yeah. is important. Because you can't see the textures of this, can you, on a screen? No, no, no. Being able to physically come in. And also it's that thing of, I want to be the kind of gallery where you're not going to have an intern sitting there kind of glaring at you as you come in, looking mm. at your shoes, going, you know, who was this person? Are they, you know, sort of, what are they doing in our gallery? And I've yeah. had friends of mine say, I don't like going into galleries because I, I, I get made to feel like I'm a piece of dirt on their floor, mm. you know. And the thing is, you don't know who that person is who's coming in. We had a guy the other day who came in, turns out he's a, you know, he's a billionaire. Mm. He didn't dress like one. He didn't have like, <laughs> Probably didn't you know, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. exactly, you know. And um, what that, does a billionaire dress like anyway? I don't know what the look is anymore. <laughs> I can't tell. Um, I thought it was like you wear crimson corduroys. Right. You know, I, I think I met the guy from Pret a Manger who came in one time and he had the crimson cords. And I thought, yeah, you know, Gucci loafers and crimson cords. Yeah. I, I've, I've got this. But then, uh, yeah, you just don't know. But actually, having the physical space, because when people come in, it's an experience. You know, it's them mm. seeing Shoreditch as well, is the whole that's kind of part of the whole thing because you will be probably walking past people who were making, you know, painting a wall opposite. Something's happened, someone's popped in from Brazil who wants to borrow a ladder, you know, or someone's hiding downstairs in the basement. And um, I, I also feel like I have a responsibility to support other galleries that are also bricks and mortar. Mm. And we recently contacted a lot of framers who I know have been framing up my pieces and said, look, we want to work with you because you know you are kind of the lifeblood of what we do. We make the prints, you make our prints look good, you frame them up. If you need prints for you know, your own showrooms, then just let us know. Mm. I think one thing that's really struck me with your art and what, it made, what made it really easy for me to buy um, is that a lot of your prints, they come across very well online because they're pretty simple, and I don't say that in a um, in any other way other than they're very clear and simple. And you were talking yeah. about, you know, the small logo, weren't you, with the small pixels, which is very clear. Yeah, the culture of the thumbnail. Yeah. Like the first time you will probably see your new favourite artist will be, you know, an email that you get sent, you know, or it'll be on Instagram or it'll be on Facebook. Mm. And the inspiration for what I'm, I'm doing and the simplicity of the work came from this email I got from a copy village in China. And it was such a random thing because they said, we have artists who can paint anything you want. And here's some examples. Here's three Andy Warhols. Here's, they went through the history of art and they sort of distilled it all down to three little thumbnails wow. for each artist. Mm. And it was fascinating to see, you know, Gustav Klimt, they picked those three. Andy Warhol, they picked a Liz, a Jackie and a Marilyn. Mm. And they just looked absolutely brilliant at that scale because of the simplicity. Mm. You know, something like this is a much harder yeah. sell. You need to see that for the scale. Yeah, you need to see that, that to see the brushwork. Mm. And yeah, it was just, it was a real eye-opener for me. And I just thought, in a way, I want to become a copy village. I want to be, be like that, 
but I'm actually sort of looking at film and looking at books and looking at popular culture, maybe going on to someone's you know, Tumblr archive where you will see 6,000 images in a few hours and pick out a few things that just grab you. Mm. I don't think Leonardo would have had that day where he went out and saw a thousand different images in mm. a few hours. And we're so bombarded with um, you know, all of these images. And you know, now we have this sort of culture of the curator who will curate a mixtape for you or they'll curate you know, a sandwich from you. From mm. It's got a little bit crazy, <laughs> the amount of you know, so-called curators who are curating our lives. But for what I'm doing, I'm kind of like filtering through popular culture and looking at different images and suddenly something will kind of bubble up and I'll go, right, that's the, that's the Marilyn image that I want to use yeah. or, you know, that's the, that's the this or that's the that. Or sometimes it will be, say, for example, with um, David Bowie, when um, he passed away, I was just about to release a, um, a print edition but then it just became so much more. It was about celebrating his art and his music and, you know, the hand finishing of what, you know, his, his, um, his pieces meant to me while I was listening to his music and putting his lyrics onto the, um, onto the surface of the canvases and the prints. Mm. It was really cathartic for me. Yeah. I think something that if I were still an artist now, um, and when I say art, I don't just mean art. I think everyone's an artist in what they do, or at least they, they could be, yeah. is embracing whatever media we have right now, whether it's Instagram, because, you know, scroll, 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 what's going to jump out? Mm -hmm. And your prints of, you know, of, the, of the famous people in the bright colours, they jump out. Yeah. And then you can come to a gallery and you can get, the, you get the, the sense of culture and history and you get the layers and you get the one-offs. I've just bought that mirror off mm -hmm. you and it's a one-off just a complete one-off mirror and like yeah. so I, I've been able to find you from TV scroll on Instagram pick out the images I like and now we have a relationship because I like your art and yeah. now I come here and able to buy the one-offs whereas if, if the images had been too complicated or you'd have been I'm not doing Instagram because I'm a I'm a real artist yeah I'm a real artist <laughs> who hasn't sold any work yeah yeah so it seems to me that you're leveraging media um, because there's more to your art than just the you know, the, the David Bowie and the, and the Jackie and the Marilyn, yeah. and your drum kit is there. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you had your studio there, didn't you, for music? That was the man cave. That's where we made music. But then music has always been a big part of what I do, although financially, I think my last album made about pound fifty. You know, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to retire from doing street art anytime soon and fall back into a music career. <laughs> but, it, you know, music has been an inspiration to me. Um, so many other sort of parts of culture, mm. but I, I feel enriched by, you know, sort of being able to, all right, I'm interested in, you know, sort of finding out about, you know, John Cazale, like, you know, he was only in about six amazing films, which happened to be, um, you know, Deer Hunter, Godfather, Godfather 2, but I heard that he'd actually, um, he'd actually appeared in a, a TV series called NYPD, and there was one episode where he was in it and that's the only television thing that he ever did right so going on to youtube of course you can find it mm. you know it's not like a two-year quest where you'll finally be in a you know a film archive in dusseldorf and you'll find the can mm. you know because someone's already <laughs> been there yeah. found it uploaded it and made it available for you know for you and it's in the same way with music you're completely you know sample culture has really changed music over the last 
few decades, you know, suddenly we had cheap samplers where we could actually, you know, make hip hop and we could make, you know, trip hop and we could make, you know, all different types of new genres of music. And, you know, we could sample a drum break and make drum and bass. And art is, for me, the same thing. It's mm, about it sounds like you're doing similar things in both niches yeah. or industries. Yeah. Like the other day, I just spent a few hours just going through, um, I found like a Tumblr blog that had thousands and thousands of images. And I was looking at them. We're talking about the culture of the thumbnail. Mm. I was looking through all of them and I just found maybe four or five different things. Little shapes, things mm. that almost look like they might be little patterns on a Japanese kimono. And, you know, so it's taking a little bit of Japanese culture, taking a little bit of Norwegian death metal, taking a little bit of, you know, American advertising, mm. mixing it all together into like, you know, some sort of new cocktail. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people put pressure on themselves, whether it's the business side or art side, that, you know, art, business innovation has to be original and unique and no one's ever done it before. And um, I think I used to think that. Mm -hmm. And so therefore inspiration comes very few and far between because there aren't that many unique ideas left. Yeah. Um, and then I got this one star review on my, um, one of my books, which pissed me off. Yeah. But thankfully only for a few seconds. And then I got over myself and yeah. he said, this book, all it is, is a rehash of all the best personal development books out there. And at first I thought, you bastard. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, because you've read all those books. Exactly, and, I've, and, yeah. and I've, I've carried it and it's inspired me and changed my life. And I've fed that through with my take. And it sounds to me like that's what you're saying art can be as well. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, sort of spend your time trying to make a completely original idea, but you can also go, well, damn, I'm just obsessed with Blondie right now. Mm. I'm listening to music nonstop. I just want to get an image that captures her, you know, like an obsession with Elvis Presley. But it's not just about Marilyn. It's not just about Blondie. It's not about Elvis. It's about Elvis and Nixon. It's Elvis and politics. It's Elvis and, you know, all these other things that are going on. Mm. And... You know, I had like someone who, you know, would have probably given me a one star review who just said, you know, I'm so <laughs> fed up of you doing, I'm so glad that you've done someone British because you're doing all this American stuff. And, but for me, California and the US has always been this incredible place for culture. And I think right now you're looking at this empire that's kind of in collapse. I don't really know what's going on with America, you know, and Donald Trump and all of the sort of, you know, the murder, murders that are going on right now. Um, and it's just to be able to make images like the, um, the crying Statue of Liberty or, you know, more locally when Brexit happened to do the, the Brexit image of the Queen, um, you know, with the, with the stars and the, the EU flag split with the Union Jack on one side, you know, and the sort of the, the division between the two. It's, it's a very interesting time to be an artist at the moment. Mm. It's kind of like when you know, sort of Ronald Reagan, um, you know, was sort of, um, and Nixon were in power in America. There were a lot of great punk bands. There was a lot mm. of great graphic design. There were a lot of artists who were just kind of fighting back and try to, you know, trying to make sense, not just for themselves, you know, but, but when I'm creating art, I'm trying to, you know, sort of process things myself. Mm. But then also when it does end up on someone's wall, it may have a completely different meaning to them. You know, mm. And that's, that's the nice thing. And you were talking about you know, knowing that these pieces will then go to someone's, you know, they become someone else's property. I love that. Mm. I love that it ends up in a house in Sri Lanka 
or in Moscow. Or in Peterborough. Or in Peterborough. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just... Sorry, I'm not the most glitzy no, of your but clients. you know what? You know, and the, the people who will visit your home and you're mm. enthusiastic about it and you're showing them what you love about it. So it's like that conversation piece. Mm. And it's funny because I did, a, I did a live feed video this morning to a group of about 17,500 property investors and we were doing it on deep due diligence because that was what needed to be done. And your, your, your eyes in the background. And it's funny how your art can get everywhere and how you know, the, the power of social media and the power of live feed videos and just you know, this juxtaposition between serious work and fun work and mm-hmm. art and business. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. We're sitting on this rug here, aren't we, that you designed. And you were saying um, th- these are made in India. These are hand-knotted in India. Wow. So it's actually nice to be able to, although you're creating your own artwork, and we were talking about how I like to, you know, produce my own artwork myself, it's nice to be able to go, it would take me a lifetime to learn how to mm. make a rug like this, but then I can actually work with, you know, proper artisans, not the artisans who made your sandwich in Shoreditch this morning, mm. but you know, the, the, the real guys who were just able to make you know, totally brilliant, unique, beautiful, handcrafted you know, goods, and, you know, or, or someone who can work with Perspex. Mm. I mean, I, I'm, I do the Perspex myself, but if I need neon, I'll have a neon guy who will you know, who'll make those for me. Mm. You know, he'll bend the glass and then I'll put it together with what I'm doing. So you, you obviously value partnerships and people who've got skills that can transfer your idea into something you wouldn't be able to do yourself. Yeah, and also the nice thing is also having the, the Bricks and Mortar Gallery, working with other galleries you know, internationally that also have that same thing going on. Like say for example, I recently did a show in Chicago with um, an amazing gallery. They've got a space with a workshop and an apartment at the back where you can actually go and stay. So for two weeks, I'm in Chicago, I'm you know, beavering away in the, in the space, going out, finding old road signs, putting all of that together. And, you know, and then it becomes, a, you know, we have the exhibition and it's all, you know, it's all done. And that's being able to travel, export your work, exhibit it somewhere else, and then, you know, have a little holiday and come back is just, mm. It's brilliant. The sort of the, the global nature of the art world is, is just, you know, I feel really, really um, blessed mm. to be able to do that kind of thing. Mm. So there was a time when you didn't have a gallery as such, in a yeah. commercial space, if you like. How has art and your life changed and what have you learned having, because you've got two commercial spaces here, haven't you? Mm-hmm. With a um, sort of next door, but one to each other. Um, yeah, how has that changed your art? Or what have you learned about running a commercial art space as well as just being an artist? I get up a lot earlier. <laughs> and if I wake up at four o'clock, it's like a plane, you know, just as it hits the ground, the wheels start spinning. Yeah. And then you're thinking, oh my God, I've got to do that. Why haven't we done that? <laughs> There's that person that I've just, I have to contact about that exhibition. Um, so there's a lot more to think about because I really feel as a artist but also as a gallerist I'm kind of wearing two hats you know I have to think about other artists and selling their work then I also have to think about making and you know distributing and manufacturing and you know creating my own work as well. Does that Um, affect the output of your art or the style or quality of your art or is it just part of who you are? I think to be honest it it does affect you in a way because you're thinking about I still want to be able to make work that people are going to like you know I mean, I did a print and one of the background colours I actually made 
as a pharaoh and ball, I think it was elephant breath or something like that. Because <laughs> I just thought there are so many people out there who've got like pharaoh and ball mm. kitchens or they've got, you know, this colour or they've got, and I just thought I'd try it. And it was one of the most successful, you know, print releases because people saw it and went, oh, that's going to look really nice yeah. in my home. And mm. I knew it. It was just yeah. simply that. And if I did it in like a lime green, I did it in something else, it wouldn't have had that appeal. Mm. So I want to create eye candy. I want to create, um, you know, artwork that people get a feeling of euphoria from. Mm. And screen printing for me is something that's very important because you can see the layers of ink and you can see that it's been handmade. It's not like a digital print where someone's done it on, you know, in Photoshop and then just pressed print. Yeah. And so the actual hands-on nature of it all, being able to hand finish and embellish um, is really important. But I, I want to create artwork that you know, gives people pleasure. Mm. And having two spaces, I'm aware that I have a certain amount of you know, this thing called rent to pay, yes. so I've got to pay that rent. And I've got to pay you know, wages for staff and all of that. Mm. So before, where I could just you know, hang out in Shoreditch, DJ with my mates, <laughs> drink too much, go back to the house. You've just got to live up to the stereotype yeah, now. Yeah, I, have to. Yeah. I, had, I had to do that for a while. But then, you know, it's not something that you really want to sustain for too long because it's a lot more fun building relationships with, you know, collectors and meeting people and having a physical space where, you know, you can create and, you know, the, the, the legal side, you know, I don't go out and paint on trains and I, you know, I try not to do too much, you know, illegal stuff. Um, because I like actually having. How you know, do you sort of try not to do too much? Every now and again, the sort of yeah. the voice in your head says, "Go on, you're in Russia. You know, <laughs> you're walking through the streets of Moscow at two a.m. It wouldn't be too bad to paint something. <laughs> yeah. You know, just sort of like a dog having a little bit of a pee on the way home. <laughs> yeah. You know, it does. It feels like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, street art has come from the graffiti culture mm. and. You know, there are people who say that they don't love tags and they like, you know, they like street art. But a lot of street artists started off, you know, going out and doing graffiti. Mm. And then there are a lot of graffiti artists who hate street artists because they see it as a completely commercial side of, you know, what they do. Mm. But then I had an experience where I had one guy who absolutely hated me. But then when he actually came out of prison, I was the first call because he wanted to sell some prints. Right. You know, yeah. so at a certain point he realised... I can't sustain this sort of outlaw thing. I need to be able to pay some bills and I have, you know, it's been it's been nice to be able to kind of support other artists who, you know, I mean, people do get arrested for doing graffiti. If you do happen to like drawing and colouring in things, but they happen to be trains, you will <laughs> you will go to prison, yeah. you know. And so, you know, we've had yeah, that don't, experience. Don't you go to the House of Commons today? Yeah, yeah I'm popping yeah. off the House so of don't, Commons. Don't, don't take your camera. I know, I know, not at all. Yeah, so, but then there is this sort of, you know, you have come from this, this important long line of graffiti culture. And it's interesting when you actually see auctions now, they start with the beginnings of, you know, the history of graffiti and then they come up to the present day. Mm. And you go into the Pompidou Centre and there's a table that is devoted to street art next to a table that's devoted to surrealism mm. or cubism. And you, we've always you know, sort of hoped that this movement will become accepted and I truly think that now it actually has been, it's reached that tipping point where 
you know, it will be seen as one of the, you know, the, the biggest movements of the early, you know, the late 20th and the early 21st century. Mm. And hopefully, I don't see people stopping anytime soon. No. So, I think a lot of people think that they're not creative, you know, they're not artistic, whether they're very much just business focused or, you know, some people think they've got one side of the brain which is analytical and another mm -hmm. side which is arty and they don't have their left brain or right brain. I think that's a bit nonsense really. Yeah. I think everyone is artistic and creative, whether it's borrowing ideas and putting your own taking on, take on it or just getting inspired. Yeah. I, I, I like detail as well and I think you do and I've wandered around and you know, you've got a space here where it seems like you've sort of installed somewhat of a, a conservatory mm -hmm. to bring outside space to in. And you said initially when that was open, you were able to spray so that the fumes would yeah. go we out. We had Brazilian artists who were there spraying. And one night when they were actually spraying, it started snowing. And there was snow falling down, the first snow that they'd ever seen. Right. And that was kind of a special moment, mm. you know, from the sort of the early stages of the gallery. Mm. Yeah. And then you've got two um, like barrel vault spaces here yeah. where you've got, um, I guess, glass block from the floor, which is bringing natural light in. And that to me looks like perfect spaces to put some pieces. Yeah. And, and then you've cut a hole in the wall. We've got the James Bond Go on, sort you, you of tell portal. that, that's brilliant. Well, between two of the floorboards above, rather than having to move artwork down the stairs, which a lot of them because find, quite tight, it won't mm. fit. Um, we just put a hole, so you have a trap door above, yeah, a long, a long rectangular, and if there's annoying kids that are up there, we just pop the <laughs> trap door down and just, <laughs> I think they'd probably get stuck, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even better. Yeah, they would. And, and to me, those little details, that's art. Yeah. And it's also solving a problem. It's a commercial thing. And so I guess I just wanted to make that point to people who don't think they're arty or creative, that, Everything is being creative. Yeah, I think also just get a piece of paper, get a pen and just start drawing. Mm. You know, I think everyone has their own handwriting. I looked at people like David Hockney, you know, he's got a really specific type of, you know, line work mm. and you can recognise, you know, sort of the work that Modigliani does or Picasso does or, you know, all these different artists from their handwriting. Mm. So we really all have our own handwriting and it might just be you're on the phone and you're just somewhere else and something spontaneously happens. Mm. But um, my dad was a great um, evangelist for art. He was always saying, you know, why are you doing that when you could be, you should be painting, you know, or he'd say to like, you know, watercolorists who were doing little, you know, sort of uh, touristy beach scenes, you need to get bigger. You know, he was like expressionist artist doing these huge abstract canvases. And, you know, he was always trying to get people inspired. And it's been nice to actually do you know, workshops with kids, especially little kids, and give them, you know, the tools to be able to, say, for example, create a stencil. You know, you show them, okay, so we can all draw a snail or we can all draw a butterfly. Right, you cut it out and we'll make a, you know, like a little bit of poster paint and a roller and we'll, um, you know, we'll make it. And that's just mm. the best fun. Yeah. It's just kind of letting them just get creative and you've got a whole room of people and they're all sitting around the table and they're all, they're all buzzing. Mm. Yeah. So I had an, a question sort of in my pocket, if you like, um, which I, I've, I think you've half answered, but I'm going to throw it again anyway, because you get some different stuff. Um, but how do you get inspired? How do you get ideas? And one thing I wanted to say is, you know, watching children without all the faculties of being critical and second guessing ourselves, 
definitely, I think, is a great thing, which yeah. it sounds like you agree with. But yeah, do you have any moments you get inspired? Is there a way you look to create ideas or is it just trying to keep your eyes and ears open? I just, at all times, I'm ready for inspiration. It might be, I think last night I was watching a film called Hard Eight with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, one of her first films, and she's playing this sort of drunk, drunk uh, hooker from Las Vegas or somewhere like that. And she's just leaning back in the car and there's just a point where her face just looked incredible. So just paused it, right. took a shot. And then, you know, maybe yeah. that will end up as a canvas. Mm. Maybe it won't. I've got various other things over the last couple of days that are all kind of combining. And I think at all times you're just processing and processing and processing. Mm. You know, and it may be in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to do like an image of um, like a Christ image or something that's, you know, sort of going to work, but it's not too religious, but you have this idea of these statues that cry. And obviously my, my whole kind of crying mm. thing that I have with the artwork, it would really be good. And that, that might finally come together within the next month or it might take years and years and years. Mm. So you're constantly processing books, film, mm. the internet, um, you know, advertising that you see. It's hard not to be inspired by other artists as well. And then, you know, it's sometimes you may forget it and then remember it as your own idea, or it might just, you know, just suddenly reappear as something, you know, just unique or original, mm. or it might just be, you see an old film poster. Like the other day I was going through an auction of film posters from the 60s and some of the colors, you know, like the endless summer um, surf poster, the colors in that are just beautiful, oranges and pinks. Oh, it's just, that'll end up somewhere. Mm. You know. Yeah, I think if I could just try and extract a few things, um, and so people can put this into their own life, because I know some people, you know, you're an artistic, creative person who had an artistic, creative dad. You probably take these for granted. A lot of other people maybe don't know how to do this. But I think one thing you said was basically watch, listen. Just it can come anywhere at any time. Be yeah. open to it. And um, sometimes we're like too busy, and we're having arguments in our head. You know, um, I, I, um, I remember getting an email about to go on stage to do a public speech in front of quite a few hundred people. And the email was, it was a bit nasty. And I just started having an argument with this person in my head. So much so, I walked straight into the ladies' toilets and nearly into a cubicle with a lady before I knew, knew I was in the ladies' toilets. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I sometimes I think I live days or weeks like that where I'm not present. I'm in the past or the future. Yeah. So would it be fair to say just observing, being present, like allowing what's happening to just hit your brain? Would that be fair? I think so. But then also I think there's a point where sometimes you need to meditate. And I've learned quite a lot by um, traveling to um, places like Sri Lanka and Singapore. I'll go to like a Buddhist temple and just sit quietly somewhere. Or I'll just be in a hotel room and mm. it's night time and there's you know, hardly any sound outside. And... You know, it's just, there's a, it's just a candle mm. and I'll just focus on the candle and just kind of still my mind. Mm. And that's really when, you know, ideas will start yes. to flow. Even when you're trying to think, I don't want to think about anything, something's going to come through. Mm. You're going to start thinking about this or that, or you're going to start processing. I really need to do that. But we're so occupied with you know, mobile phones. When we have a spare moment, we'll go, okay, cool, I'll just fill my mind with that. And, you know, or I'll look here and I'll look there. And I've been this advocate of the internet and films and all of that. 
But I think sometimes the inspiration can come from just a moment of stillness, mm. you know, where you're just, you may be sitting at a beach and you just think, you know what, I'm just going to sit here. There's, it's beautiful weather, you know, it's waves, it's sky, it's really, really simple and really, really basic. I'm just going to look at the sand and that's all I need to do. And then something will happen and your mind will just, it'll just go somewhere else. Mm. It's funny because um, Gemma thinks I always need my wife, always need to be doing something, concocting something. And she said, well, you should allow yourself to be bored a little bit more. And like, boredom scares me. Yeah. It's like, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're all addicted. It's like, what do I do if I'm all alone? Yeah. Or just with me? That's actually quite a scary thought to me. Someone who's busy and entrepreneurial. And um, she said, you should allow yourself to be bored more. And at first I thought... But then that's quite a wise statement, I think. Yeah, I'm going to go to Cornwall this Christmas and I'm going to be bored. Right. And I can't wait. Is that, oh, you, you're excited about that? That would scare me, something chronic. I mean, I just think I will probably, there probably won't be a lot of stuff to do, but it will just take it down to a much simpler mm. kind of level. I mean, we've got, we've got friends who have um, a few properties in Sri Lanka and just going and staying at their places where you can just go for a, you know, a walk down the beach mm. and it's so... There's no traffic. There's none of the stressful stuff that you deal with every single day. You mm. can just kind of slow down. And you know, there's the first time I went there, I took my keyboard and I took my laptop. And there were days where I just had the windows open and I was just sitting there happily, you know, making mm. music and just creating. And yeah, I look back on that that, that time and just think, that's what life's all about. Mm. It's just to find something that you love and just be able to give yourself the time to do that thing that you enjoy. Mm, and I think it's probably addiction to instant fixes, dopamine hits on, you know, reading what you do online probably creates the fear in me of being bored. So yeah. it's almost, and I'm trying to be self-aware here, it's almost like um, I'd have this need for it. Um, I went to interview John Barnes on Saturday uh, and um, I had a fantastic day. And I turned my phone off from 10.30 when I interviewed him till probably 6 o'clock, mm -hmm. which for me is a decent amount of time, eight hours not to go on the phone. Yeah. And um, so I think also meditation mindfulness can just be being at one with an individual, someone you're inspired by. Someone took me to the game and it was someone I'm just getting to know and we had a brilliant conversation for three hours and neither of us were like, yeah. you know, what's worse than talking to someone? They're like, yeah. Well, you, you look, look at a table of people in a restaurant and they're all on their phones and they're all ignoring each other. Go home. You know? Mm. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, I had that, um, a friend of mine was actually on the phone at a table because he was trying to, like, book a band that was supposed to go to Cuba the next day and they'd been stopped. So he had to be on the phone at that point. And a woman came up to his wife and said, I'm so sorry about your husband. <laughs> you know, she just... She didn't really like, mm. you know, sort of say, yeah, I know. She just went, leave him alone. He's yeah. got to do this. So yeah. there's obviously times where you have to be, you know, in, in contact and doing all of that. Mm. But then, you know, when you have moments where you can kind of go, right, okay, that's it. I'm just going to, you know, be a bit mm. more mindful. Mm. Um, I think it's important. It's got me through, like, when I've had sort of, you know, I've, I've lost my father and you know, things have happened. And that's really helped me to kind of still my mind. Mm. And also... I think art has saved me, you know, through certain times in my life where I felt like, you know, I couldn't carry on. Um, being able to just create and get into the zone. You know, we have like um, sort of free climbers who talk about being in the zone when they're climbing. Yeah. 
a rock face, they're not thinking about falling, they're just in the zone, you know, and I think for an artist or in, in, in many different ways of, you know, sort of, you know, in your, in your own life, you could be in the zone doing what you're doing, you just feel like there's, something's happening, everything is synchronised, and you're just, you're just in it. Mm. So your art and your work and the business of art can also be catharsis and therapy as well. Yeah, absolutely. It mm. saved me. You know, art will save you. Mm. Um, it really has. Um, and I've been able to just create. And also that feeling that there is an audience for what you're doing. You know, it's like being a musician and being on a stage with a guitar and you've got the whole audience in in your hands and you can take it any way you want to mm. or if you're you know if you're DJing or if you're making music the same kind of thing you just there's that direct communication mm. you know you 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 change the music and you can see the crowd change yeah. and you can see what's happening half of them leave mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next record yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't play that one again no no uh, i've got a little bit of a theory it's probably not a groundbreaking one but i, I think a lot of people will find it hard especially the sort of non-spiritual ones, to say, hey, you know, focus on a candle, clear your mind and ideas will come. Um, but I think our brains are so full, the fact that it's full is blocking ideas coming in, empty all of the noise and chatter. You could be driving your car. I mean, I was driving back from Wales. I had a three-hour drive where I wasn't on my phone. I was just focused on getting home. And in a way, that's kind of, you know, it doesn't have to be the candles in Sri Lanka mm. and, you know, sort of, you know, near a temple or anything like that. It could just be something as simple as, you know, you've, you're focused on something and it just takes you somewhere else. Mm. It's funny, I've got that revelation because I've tried meditation a lot and I'm like, when's it, you know, this isn't happening quick enough. I want it now. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I'm, t- I'm I so haven't reached the seventh level of Nirvana. Exactly. What the hell's yeah. going on? Yeah, give me the money back on that book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep at this. Um, but like, I used to play pool a lot when I was young and I used to love it. And I've just started again with some friends. And I realised when I'm focusing on thinking about the shot I'm playing, everything else that might be going on in, in my world has gone. Yeah. And some people have said to you, yeah, that's mindfulness. Yeah. And it's that thing of like, so that th- could be the there candle, are these two it? planets, and if you hit this one with that one, then it, this planet will mm. go off in this trajectory. It's, you know, it's cosmic, playing mm. pool. It's brilliant. <laughs> like, I used to play, with, play snooker with my dad, mm. and it's just, just hitting it at the right angle with a certain amount of spin. Mm. Footballers as well, like the sort of the skill set of what they're doing. Mm. It's like, I'm sure when they're in the game. There's a great um, film called Zidane where they just basically filmed Zinedine Zidane for a whole game. They were just focused mm-hmm. on him and it's just, it's an incredible film because it just shows focus. You know, he's just, he's the master of his game and he's just in the zone mm-hmm. doing his thing. And we all, wa- we all wanna reach that point where we just feel like we're right here, right now doing exactly what we need to be doing. You know, because all the time there is this distraction of like, oh, Maybe I should be in New York, or maybe I should be there, or you know, maybe I should go to Miami in two weeks and go to the art fair, or maybe I should stay at home and you know, be with my wife and you know, spend quality time with her. And I think um, it always reminds me of there was a um, when I used to drive to school with my mum, there was a dog on the side of the road and it used to just chase after cars. It used to chase that way, and then it used to chase that way, and it was perpetually chasing cars. And I'm sure if a car had stopped and gone. Yeah, what do you want? 
the dog wouldn't have known what the hell to do with the car. But it was in that stage where it was just chasing and chasing and chasing without really knowing what its purpose was mm. or what it would do when it actually got what it thought it wanted. Mm. And uh, definitely a great analogy for yeah, life there. I know, exactly. Mm. It's just something like that that's really simple. But it's kind of, it's, it's kept me going, that mm. idea of that thing. Like, if we actually get what we think we want, what are we going to do with it? Yeah. There's a great um, Alan Watts quote, um, a philosopher who said that, imagine that you had, you know, suddenly five million pounds, what would you do with your life? Well, do that anyway, because mm. what is the purpose of, you know, sort of your life, mm. if not to fulfill your purpose, yeah. you know, and, and sort of follow, follow your goals and follow your dreams. I mean, obviously, that's idealistic, and if you're really working in a supermarket checkout and someone says, just give up your checkout job and, you know, go off and become a sailor, mm. you know, it's difficult. We've got responsibilities and we've got, you know, bills to pay and all of that. But um, sometimes you just have to go, what do I really want? and just head towards that or make a, a long-term plan of where do you want to be in five years time and then you know move towards making that a reality mm. and how did you kind of move into art part-time hobby and then actually now you know this is your career like this ask backwards <laughs> just completely ask backwards it wasn't a part of reading a book that said how to run a contemporary art gallery and how to be successful in you know, making art, it was, well, I want to have a space, so let's do it for two weeks. That went well. Let's try it a bit more. That space downstairs looks interesting. Let's try that. So it was just getting into a space, stressing out a bit, because you might have bitten off more than you can chew, realising that you can actually sustain it, and then things start to happen. You know, and then people start to sort of, you know, know that you're here and then you'll get, you know, regular people who are in Shoreditch doing street art tours who will pop in every week or you might get, a, you know, sort of just a random collector from California who just stops by and then suddenly, you know, they start buying your works. And sometimes it has to be like that. You just, you don't read the how-tos, you just get in arse backwards. And so you're just... following where you want to go, feeling your way in the dark, yeah. taking a bit of a chance, yeah. moving left and right and f trying to seize opportunities as they come without having to set them up in advance. Yeah, it could be like being in the right place at the right time or it can be making sure that you are in the right place at the right time. I felt like there was a buzz happening in this area and I wanted to be a part of it, so I started to you know, go out and paint. And it was someone who just saw me painting and went, oh, you're the guy who does that. I see that on my way to work. It really makes me smile, you know. And there's that light bulb moment where you go, oh, I'm not just doing it for me. It has an effect on other people. And that, that's brilliant. It's that moment where you realise it kind of things open up. I've created a little, this is, you're a one-off for this. I've not done this with any okay. other guest. A little quick fire round. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe 10 to 30 seconds answer on each one. Okay. Are you good for that? Yeah. Okay. Um, street art versus canvas, gallery, home art, thoughts? If you take street art off the street, it is no longer street art, it's art. That's how I feel about the whole thing. Yeah. Which is controversial because people want to feel like this is street art, that's street art, that's street art out there. This is art inspired by street art. Okay, great. What inspires you? Um, a good breakfast, it's going to inspire me, a sunrise in the morning when I'm coming to work, um, like a moment of kindness, 
You might see like a you know, 70 year old lady in a wicked hat and go, you look fabulous. And that will give you a boost and it will give her a boost. So just those little moments in life. Mm. Great. Your most memorable experience? Um, getting married. Having, okay, that was the PR having, answer. Having, <laughs> I think having a baby, having, having that just feeling of, you know, sort of you're something, you're no, your focus is no longer on yourself. That's the most important person in the universe. Suddenly, it's not you anymore, it's them. That's, that was mind-blowing. Okay, great. What makes you and or your work unique? The way that I think, the way that I see things and my experiences that I've had up to this moment. Even if I was a twin, my other twin would have had slightly different experiences. And so therefore, they, if they were also making art, they would be thinking in, you know, in, a, in a different way. Okay, great. What are you concocting and cooking up next? Um, I'm trying to plan a takeover of America, just doing more traveling to America and more exhibitions out there. So possibly shows in Harlem and another show in Los Angeles, maybe doing some more screen prints. But like a little kind of military chess style, go here, go there. But I always opt, adopt the um, idea of sort of organic natural growth if it will grow it will grow if it isn't don't push it too hard yeah. okay favorite two artists and favorite two musicians um i would have to say uh artists wise probably picasso probably basquiat um musicians um i would probably say radiohead have been quite inspiring Mine. yeah my favorite yeah and also um off the top of my head the doors mm -hmm. yeah Okay, great. Anyone you particularly admire outside of the creative world or arty music world? Um, that's a really good question. Outside the music arty world, I say Jeremy Corbyn. I can't trust the guy. Mm -hmm. I know he's got his detractors, but I've actually voted and I feel like he could actually be an honest politician. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah. This podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you? When I think about disruption, I think about Silicon Valley and the disruptors and the people who are breaking the rules. And I think it's important to break rules. Yeah. I think it's, you know, we don't really get, as evolutionary you know, beings, we have to break the rules to get to the next level sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think by following the rules and just doing what everyone else says, there's no fun in that whatsoever. No. Okay, great. Yeah. And then finally, where can people follow you, you know, see your work, see what you're up to? Just Google Pure Evil Gallery, Instagram, and then pureevilgallery.com. That's the kind of, that's the, the main hub of what I do. Yeah. And then there's music on there, there's the art side of things, and then, you know, I'll kind of, it gives you an idea about what I'm thinking about. I'll kind of post up random links and quotes and whatever else is going on. Mm -hmm. I'd love to encourage anyone, if you can get down to the galleries, come and have a look at the galleries because you just get a, a, a much deeper sense of everything that's going on. Can yeah. you give a, let everyone know where that is? Uh, Pure Evil Gallery is in Shoreditch uh, on Leonard Street. We've been here for 10 years and the, the long-term plan is to stick around for at least 15 more and then kind of go, right, what do we do next? <laughs> yeah. I like this little bit. Yeah. Charlie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Cheers.